Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete podcast. Today's guest is the wonderful Julia Cameron. She is back. She is a returning guest. She is an award-winning writer. She is the author of 24 books, including fiction and non-fiction. She's probably the best known for her book, The Artist's Way, which has sold millions of copies around the world. She is also a novelist, a playwright, a songwriter, a poet. She is just one of the most creative individuals on the planet, I think, and she is guiding us and telling us how to live a more creative life. In this episode, we talk about her brilliant new book, The Listening Path, The Creative Art of Attention, a six-week Artist Way programme. It's been described as a new transformative guide to better, deeper listening and creativity. And over six weeks, the reader is given the tools to become a better listener to their environment, the people around them and to themselves. I absolutely love the book. I think listening is something that not everyone is very good at, something that I'm definitely trying to be better at, especially in this time where we are all talking over each other a lot. And the book really inspires you to turn your attention to healing and clarity and listening to the things you really want from life and also listening to the people you love in your life a bit more deeply. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Julia. She really is just such an icon and it was just such a treat to talk to her again. So I hope you enjoy this episode and here it is. So I'm so thrilled to have Julia Cameron back on the podcast. I couldn't believe I had you on here once and here you are again. So thank you so much. You're very welcome. In the meanwhile, you've had a novel come out. And I'm, I am indebted to you for helping me continue to write after the anticlimax of when something's published. So I've been devouring your latest book, I, I was so pleased that you brought a book out during this time. What made you want to write a whole book about listening? Because I learned so much in this book, I didn't know how much I needed it. Well, what happened that set me to writing the book was that I le- left New York, which is loud, hectic, noisy, uh, not unlike London. Uh, and uh, I moved to Santa Fe, which was to my ears at first, silent, uh, and it freaked me out, and I missed my urban noise. Uh, And then I started listening more closely, uh, and I realized I heard bird song. I heard wind in the trees, Uh, and I thought, well, maybe there's something to this deeper listening that I'm meant to learn. So I started writing about listening and thinking about listening. Uh, And I had lunch with Joel Fotinos, who is a muse of mine uh, and has been my publisher for 27 years. Uh, And he said, Julia, what are you thinking about? Uh, And I said, oh, I'm thinking about listening. And he said, listening? I'd love to hear more about that. So the combination of my own listening and his curiosity were the catalysts that started me off on this book. I love that because you sort of touch on listening a bit in your previous books, I suppose, and to have a whole book about it is so powerful. I remember reading once in a writing book, I can't remember which one, about fiction about how dialogue 
is sometimes two people having separate conversations and they're not listening to each other. And what I loved about your book is how it encouraged the reader as well to listen to their friends more. Yes, I think we we all want to be better listeners, but we don't realize that there are some sort of simple little tricks. Uh, And the big trick with our friends is don't interrupt. (laughs) Allow Mm -hmm. them to finish their thoughts. Don't jump in sure that you know where they're going. Because if you let them finish their thoughts, they may surprise you. I've definitely been guilty of that in the past when, even in the early days of this podcast, where I would interrupt someone and think, no, why did I do that? But I wondered as well if I could um, talk to you a little bit about music as well and our environment when we're writing, because something that I got from your book as well was creating that space where we can change our mood or we can listen to the environment and whether it's making us anxious or it's making us happy. That was a really good tip, I felt. Yes, I think that a lot of times we have a sonic environment that we endure uh, and we don't realize how unpleasant it is. uh, And we sort of tend to try and tune out unpleasant sounds. Uh, And what I found writing the book was that we needed to tune in, not tune out. Uh, And that if we tuned in, we would say, oh, maybe this is a sound I can change. Maybe I'll listen to Pachelbel's Canon. Maybe I'll listen to the Rolling Stones. Uh, And as we cue up music to alter our moods, we often find ourselves plunging ahead as writers. And I love how practical the book is, and all your books are so wonderful for that. You give the reader things to practically do. And I, I actually went on Spotify and played some of the, the songs that you'd recommended. Aha, good. Because there were some that were more lively, and then there were some that were more reflective. So sometimes you want to ha- be energetic, and sometimes you want to feel really melancholy. And- mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm just like repeating your book back to you for a moment, the things I absolutely loved. But the um, the bit about your friend James, the actor, and he said that when you look at someone and their eyes flicker, it means they're listening. But if they're staring straight through, through you, it means they're not. Yes. Are there things like that that you now notice about other people? Because you know so much about the topic. I notice a great deal more from other people. I feel like I'm more tuned into their body language. Uh, And uh, this is what James was talking about. Uh, And I think uh, that where before, uh, if somebody had body language, arms folded across their chest, uh, head tipped skeptically, I would have ignored it or tried to override it. Uh, And now I think, oh, this is a cue. Uh, And I ask So what are you really thinking about? Because a lot of this, even with morning pages and even with some of the other things that people know you for, it's not easy, is it, sometimes? And it can make us feel really uncomfortable. Getting silent, I I put it off for a long time because I don't know if I want to hear. And you have to actively go there, don't you? Yes, I think the listening path has six little layers to it uh, that go a week at a time. 
uh, and they go listening to our environment, listening to others more deeply, listening to our higher selves more deeply, uh, taking our own wisdom seriously, listening to people beyond the veil, uh, people who are beloved and dear and have passed on and we wish to continue a relationship with, listening to our heroes, uh, which are people that we don't know, but we wish we knew, who may have attributes that we wish we had ourselves. Uh, and then the final one, the one you're bringing up right now, is listening to silence. Uh, and I think uh, many people are frightened by silence. Uh, and I don't think that much of the literature that we have about meditation is very helpful. Uh, it's threatening uh, and strict. So I wanted to do a chapter that said, just try gently listening to a couple minutes of silence and see how it feels. Uh, and what I found with my friend Jerry, who was terrified of silence, was that when he turned off all of his devices and finally surrendered that he was going to listen to silence, he found himself filled with insights. Uh, and I think that this is the frequent fruit of focusing on silence, uh, is that we begin to realize Oh, I'm led. That's amazing to hear that you'd put it in that order. It was obvious that you'd put it in the order for a reason, that silence was like the last bit of the course because it's a, maybe the hardest. You kind of have to work up to it because I'm definitely someone that goes for my daily walks, but I'm very rarely walking in silence. I've always got music playing or a podcast playing. And so your book inspired me to go for some silent walks and it was amazing I need to keep it up but I wondered with writing this book you clearly met up with a lot of friends and spoke to them about listening and I wondered for anyone who feels like there may be they've drifted a little bit from their friends I mean this book I feel like is for them as well because there's prompts in the book kind of willing you to listen to your friends maybe send them a note um, call them and just ask them how they are and not need to talk about yourself. And I think that's really important for where we are right now, where everyone's like constantly posting about themselves on the internet. Well, I think we're in a period of enforced solitude where we have, uh, and we might also say enforced introspection. Uh, and I, I believe that when we listen to each other, we, we can connect uh, and right now what we're missing is connection. We're missing uh, a, a feeling that we're all in this together. Uh, I think that Zoom has been a wonderful gift uh, for many of us uh, because it brings us, well, I'm looking at you right now. I love your yellow sweater. I love your black glasses. Uh, and I think Oh, that's my friend Emma, wearing a sweater that matches her book jacket. And I was really excited to see your glasses on Zoom. But I, I, uh, I've definitely been going back and reading some of your older books as well. And I, um, 
I I actually got a copy of The Right to Write, which I hadn't read. And I've got a copy from 1999. And it was so fun to read because it really took me back to kind of why we all do what we do and how writing is like breathing. And um, when I think about writing, I do think about having an inner critic. And, and you write about your inner critic, Nigel. And would you be able to talk about the power of personifying that voice in kind of quite a funny way? Well, I think we all have a critic who perches on our shoulder and whispers terrible things in our ears. Uh, and I, I think that we are used to listening to this critic and believing this critic. So if the critic says, you're a one book wonder, we think, oh my God, I'm a one book wonder. Instead of thinking, what a nasty thing to say. Uh, and I think it's important to make your critic uh, into a cartoon figure. Uh, Nigel is uh, a British interior decorator uh, and I can never do anything good enough for Nigel, well enough for Nigel. Uh, and Nigel perches on my shoulder, and he has been sitting there whispering vile things in my ears since I was 18 years old. And sometimes people say to me, Julia, how can I get rid of my critic? Uh, and I say, I'm not sure that you can get rid of your critic but you can miniaturize your critic. You can turn your critic into a cartoon figure who is habitually negative, just like a negative relative that gets invited to every family picnic and always has something nasty to say. That's why I love the book. Um, the right to write felt like, to me, it felt like the opposite of a Nigel. It felt like that really wise welcoming friend who says to you you can do this and I I felt like I I needed that kind of guidance after finishing a book I just wanted to write for myself again and it really made me think all of the excuses we make up not to write the bit where you say that the obsession with having a block of time is is the block the writer's block and that we can write whenever we we only need tiny bits of time to get it done yes I have a girlfriend who says, take 20 minutes. Uh, and 20 minutes is a magical amount of time. Uh, you write for 20 minutes, uh, and then you find you want to keep writing. Uh, and you may write for 40 minutes or 60 minutes. Uh, but she says, when I say to her, I'm having trouble writing, she said, did you do your 20-minute trick? such a good one I know and, I, and sometimes I feel like I need to have these big ideas and after reading your book I realized that the ideas are all around us it's just that we need to listen listen in I mean I wrote about my local park the other day and thanks to you and realized that people really enjoyed reading it and I didn't it didn't need to be this kind of really big dramatic thing and that was really a good reminder um, I also love in the book you give people the advice to pick wisely who to listen to. I think this was really key in, in both the books. It came out to me that 
some people don't really deserve to hear it all sometimes and and you kind of write you write that we should write a list of five people who we should show our work to and five people who we shouldn't show our work to right the people that you should show your work to are people that i call believing mirrors uh, and they reflect back to you, you your strength your humor your possibility uh your your divine gift uh, and they don't say oh consider the odds against getting published uh, and anytime anybody says to you consider the odds you can be pretty sure that they are blocked uh, and that they are more comfortable with you blocked yes and and because in the in the listening path, there's lots of references to friends and believing mirrors, and even the acknowledgements at the beginning and at the end. You're just clearly surrounded by people who are such great friends to you. And I did like the bit about reflecting on whether someone is a good friend or not, and sometimes that can be quite painful. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had that where you've realised that you shouldn't really tell that person? as much as you had been? Well, I have, I, I come from a large family, so there's anonymity in numbers. And I will just say that I have a sibling, I'm not going to say male or female, uh, who always does a monologue. So when I call up and say, how are you? They talk for 25 minutes and then they say, oh, how are you, by the way? Uh, and by then you're exhausted. Uh, and um, I think that people who ignore the cues of a conversation, my turn, your turn, my turn, your turn, the people who indulge in monologues are actually very arrogant. Uh, and I think recognizing that you have an arrogant friend that you have faithfully listened to uh, is a painful realization. Uh, And I would send them the listening path. (laughs) I've got quite a few people in mind who I should maybe send it to. But sometimes, um, yeah, it's quite baffling when someone kind of talks for a long time and they don't think just for a second, oh, maybe I should turn it on you now. Right. People who don't take into account your level of interest. I have a a friend who's a wonderful novelist and a terrible conversationalist. Uh, And what happens is when you go to dinner with him, he he likes to hear himself talk. uh, And he just talks. And he never takes the time to assess whether or not you're interested in the topic. I think sometimes people can take advantage of good listeners. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's something I'm working on. <laughs> I like to think I listen for a part of my job interviewing people. You, I could sit and listen to anyone speak for, for hours. I'm just so fascinated in them. But w- when it's in your real life, it can be quite tricky. Yes. So I'm so glad your your book covers that sort of really relatable personal bit as well. Um but I was wondering as well if you had any advice for on the on this kind of listening more and and um, reaching into that silence. I know that in the book you say that you didn't have a phone for a little bit of time 
and how that was really strange to you that you couldn't communicate was that good for your creativity during that time I think I wrote more uh, because I knew I wasn't going to be interrupted Uh, and I think uh, that one of the things that I fault myself for is that sometimes when I'm writing if the phone rings I rush to answer it and interrupt my flow so I think having no phone uh, was actually a boon for a while but my girlfriend the one with the 20-minute rule was very crabby that I couldn't get my phone fixed. Uh, and uh, she she would say, it sounds like you're underwater. It sounds like you're half a mile away. Why can't you get this phone fixed? Uh, and I went through four technicians before finding one who said, oh, you need portable phones. Your regular landlines draw too many volts, and that's why it's crabby. Because you say in the book that you you need those conversations to stimulate you. You know, not have not being able to listen to people for a while can be really weird, and and it can. I, I can imagine that happened to you. Well, I found myself thinking about my friends uh, more objectively. Uh, And I realized that there were phone calls that I didn't want to get uh, and that I wasn't getting. Uh, And uh, phone calls that I did want to get that I found myself feeling like I have ESP. Uh, And I, I think one of the things I thought about the listening path was that the book was perhaps going to be too woo-woo for people uh, and uh, that they would balk at some of my suggestions like listening through the veil. Uh, And yet I found when I taught it recently that the chapters that I thought were too woo-woo were the very chapters that people got excited by. I wonder if people have become a bit more woo-woo over lockdown, over these kind of corona times, but also, I don't know if you noticed that, like, as you've done more and more of these talks, because I've watched some old talks that you've done on YouTube, and it sounds like people were sort of not laughing, but kind of like nervously feeling like they couldn't believe in the woo-woo. And now I think people are embracing it so much more. I think people have felt a need for spirituality uh, and So I think the fact that the book is a spiritual path uh, is something that people want to embrace now. I really love the exercises around listening to, like you say, the people, your heroes or people that aren't here anymore for advice, which, yeah, for some people might seem woo-woo, but even if it's our imagination or it's us talking to ourselves or soothing ourselves, it's still so powerful. I actually recently read as well your life lessons booklet the the prayers and that sounds like the very other side of Nigel where you act very very compassionately to yourself and call yourself really nice motherly words right like little one yes it was so soothing reading it thank you so much for all of the tools in the book I wondered if we could leave 
the listeners on a note for any of them maybe who haven't come across any of your work which is no one I don't think um a prompt to go on more daily walks how do you fit that into your life now do you have a routine well I get up in the morning and even if I'm grumpy I write my morning pages uh, and I drink some coffee uh, and then I settle down to listen a little bit uh, and then my dog says take me for a walk <laughs> uh, and she's quite pushy so uh, even though I don't believe that walking with your dog is necessarily the wisest way to walk, since you sometimes find yourself taking your dog's walk. <laughs> Look at that darling Cocker Spaniel. Uh, and um, so afternoon uh, is walk time for me, right before twilight. Uh, and I haven't been keeping up with my walks very well lately because it's been cold. Uh, and I find myself walking inside on my treadmill. Uh, and uh, the, that the tread of one foot in front of the other uh, wakes up my imagination. Mm -hmm. Have you heard from anyone that they've been doing artist dates in a different way during this time? Because I found that now I can't go to my local cafe. It might be that my artist date is like going and reading a book in the bath, but it's having to be inside the house now. Yes, I've just exactly what you're talking about, read, reading a book in the bath, uh, listening to some music that you don't ordinarily listen to, uh, maybe putting on some drum music, uh, listening to, uh, f for me, uh, the flute music uh, that I recommended of Tim Weeder. Uh, and uh, I think we need to turn our imagination to our environment uh, and say, well, what could I do that would cheer me up now? Uh, and do some small thing uh, and... Uh, I think what you're aiming for is being able to entice or coax what you might think of as your inner eight-year-old. So, so you might say, I'm going to paint my toenails scarlet. And we need more of that simple pleasure joy during this time for sure. Yes, I think so. Oh, well, thank you so much for um, bringing us this amazing book. And I know for all the fans of The Artist's Way, it's been very, very exciting for you to bring us a new book. So thank you so much for coming back on the podcast and I hope we can do another one one day. Thank you. I hope so too. Thank you.